This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Warning. This episode contains depictions of animal harm and may be disturbing to some listeners. First, it was the prized hen laying by the coop, lifeless in the hot morning sun. Every drop of her blood had been drained. We didn't think much of it until two days later when we found the rooster, too. Same as the hen, the blood had been drained, bone dry, literally. Worried that the chicken killer would keep coming back, we reinforced the wiring on the pen and added an extra lock. The chickens were unharmed the next night, but that morning we found the geese. Not just one or two of them, but all of them. All nine of them were dead. Their throats were torn out and their veins were dry. There were no tracks, no trace of the vicious culprit, only the death it left behind. So we waited up with our torches and our guns, hiding and watching. I dozed off just before dawn, but was woke to the screaming of the goats. They sounded almost human in their terror and pain. Running to their pen, I heard growls accompany their bleeding screams, but I was too late. Stopping at the edge of the fence, I discovered four dead and two still twitching. Scanning the area with my gun raised, I saw it in the distance, a four-legged phantom, looking back at me with glowing yellow eyes. I could almost feel its hunger. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we are discussing El Chupacabra, the Latin American bloodlusting goat sucker. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow and hopefully 
the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. My grandpa had told me this story so many times that I could retell it as if I had been there myself. He told me many stories while I was growing up, but this one seemed to be his favorite. I wonder if it is because it is the story that scared him the most. My family lives in Mazunte, Oaxaca, a small village in Mexico, wedged between a wide beach that is just over half a mile long and the Sierra Madre del Sur mountain range. Mazunte, Oaxaca is one of the most beautiful beaches in Mexico. Its perfect fusion between quietness and nature makes this place a mystical and charming space. Being in Mazunte is getting wrapped in its golden sand and crystal clear waters to enjoy its beautiful sunsets. My grandfather's family moved here in the 1970s when the Turtle Slaughterhouse was built. Yes, you heard me right, the Turtle Slaughterhouse. His father was desperate for work at the time and the slaughterhouse offered an income and Mazunte was an ideal location for his family to live. Mazunte is famous for sea turtles. Before the mid-20th century, it had nearly no human population. But that changed when a market for sea turtle meat and eggs developed. Due to the many turtles that come to Mazunte to lay eggs, by the 1970s, Mazunte was the center of sea turtle hunting in Mexico, with its own slaughterhouse. Concern over the declining number of sea turtles eventually led to an absolute ban on turtle meat and eggs in Mexico and deprived most families in Mazunte of their main source of income. There were only a few other families living in the area at the time. As time went by, my grandpa said that his father didn't have the heart for killing the turtles and eventually turned to fishing and farming to provide for his family. My grandpa was 16 and worked with his father tending to the farming and fishing. He and his two younger brothers would get up before sunrise every morning and tend the livestock, which consisted of pigs, ducks, rabbits, goats, and sheep. After breakfast, they would head down to the beach with their father and cast nets until late afternoon. Returning in the evening with their catch, they would pair off and the crops would be tended to by two of them while one would stay and help prepare the fish for market with their mother and father. This is how my grandpa remembers the story. I remember waking up early to get my chores done. I wanted to go down to the village where a new family were staying. They had a very pretty daughter that was my age. This pretty girl was your grandmother. Her father and mother moved here to help save the turtles because there was fear that they were becoming endangered. The slaughterhouse was only one threat, as poachers killed more turtles than manufacturers and wild dogs combined. I knew in a village so small, with so few girls, that there would be at least a few young men trying to get her attention. So I wanted to be early, but because of what happened that morning, I almost missed my chance to meet your grandmother that day. I was up even before the roosters began to crow. 
My father and brothers were still sleeping when I began feeding the animals. The animals must have thought I was crazy for being up so early. Most of them just stared at me stunned as I filled their feed pans. I had planned to feed the goats last because they always got excited and created a loud ruckus and I didn't want them waking everyone up. But they didn't greet me that day as they do on most mornings. They were usually jumping on the fence as soon as they heard their feed hit the bucket. But that day there was nothing but silence. I thought maybe my early arrival had stunned them too. More curious than worried at the time, I unlocked the gate to their enclosure, which was a rather large one. Stepping in, it took me a minute to locate them. It was still dark, and they were not in the usual place that they bedded down for the night. I was carrying an old kerosene lantern, so the light did not travel very far. When I saw the first goat, who we called Bebe, because he was the youngest, I thought he was sleeping, although he was in a rather awkward position, laying on his back with his two front feet in the air. Walking up to him to wake him was when I saw the blood. His little neck had been torn, and the blood had dried on his fur. His dark little eyes were staring blankly up at me. Alarmed, I immediately began to look for the other three. I found Blanca hiding in a corner. She was shaking and terrified. I tried to comfort her before looking for the others, but she continued to shiver. I searched for the other two goats, but Bella and Bonita were nowhere to be found. I was afraid to leave Blanca alone, but I had to wake my father. As I turned to head back to the house, I saw something hanging on the fence. When I approached, I am sure that I cried out in surprise, for hanging from the highest point of the fence was Benita. I could tell that she was lifeless. I didn't investigate. Instead, I ran to the house and brought my father back. He was visibly upset as he inspected the gruesome scene, but he remained quiet. After inspecting the scene, my father told me to go wake my brothers. We had to search for Bella. The animals served a purpose on our farm. The goats were to provide milk, but we also cared for them. We searched our entire property for most of the morning and found no trace of Bella. It was getting late and the heat of the morning would begin to wreak havoc on the two tiny corpses in the goat pen, so we had to quickly dispose of them. Me and my brothers buried them by the cornfield and then met my father back at the house. When we walked in, my mother and father were sitting at the table. They had been having a heated conversation, but suddenly became quiet as we entered. My mother beckoned for us to sit down, and so we did as we were told. It was then that I realized, as my father explained our plans for the day, that I would not get to go to the village. Father told us that the two goats were killed and drained of all their blood by a predator that most likely would return. We did not go fishing that day, but instead spent the whole day reinforcing the pens and fences where the animals were kept. That evening as the sun set, we made sure to lock up even the animals that usually roamed free at night. It would take a very cunning creature to figure out how to break into their enclosures. My father, being on high alert, was awoken in the middle of the night when he heard the sheep crying. 
I stumbled out of my room just in time to see him rushing out the door with his shotgun in hand, and throwing on some clothes, I quickly followed him. We found all of the animals safe, but they were scared and restless. While checking to make sure they were all accounted for, we found three different areas where something had tried to break in. There were two large holes dug by the sheep's pen where something had tried to tunnel underneath, but the most disturbing was the shed where we had locked the chickens. The door to the coop had long, deep claw marks. It looked as if something had tried to claw right through the wood and would have most likely succeeded, but had probably been scared away by my father. We buried the holes and repaired the door to the coop, but this same scenario played out three nights in a row. It was on the third night that my youngest brother Gabriel woke during the commotion and followed us outside. We did not know that he had come behind us until we heard his screams. Gabriel was eight at the time and small for his age. I was nailing a piece of wood to the bottom of the chicken coop door when I heard him screaming. Startled, I missed my mark and smashed my finger with the hammer. Cursing under my breath, I jumped up without stopping to check the wounded finger that was throbbing. I ran in the direction of the house where Gabriel's screams were coming from, and I froze for a moment at the sight before me. Gabriel was laying on the ground at the edge of the yard, and an animal about the size of two goats was on his back. It had him by the back of his neck and was shaking its head viciously while Gabriel was trying to crawl away. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gruesome tales of a mysterious monster that sucks the blood of livestock has experienced a resurgence in Mexico, the U.S. Southwest, and even China since the mid-1990s when the chupacabra 
was first reported in Puerto Rico. But many people believe that this creature has been around for a lot longer than that. In August of 1995, a newspaper printed an eyewitness description of a bipedal creature, four to five feet tall with spikes down its back, long thin arms and legs, and an alien-like oblong head with red or black eyes. That depiction became associated with El Chupacabra, and reports of similar creatures began popping up throughout the Caribbean and Latin America, Mexico, and Florida. During that same month as panic was growing, a woman named Madeline Tolentino reported a strange sighting outside her mother's home in Canovanas. A long-limbed, earless creature with a spiny back appeared in the yard. She said it had huge eyes and was staring through the window. Spooking it when she screamed out, the creature leaped back into the jungle. Following Tolentino's account and fueled by a sketch she later produced with local UFO researcher George Martin, reports of bipedal, spiny, and red-eyed creatures spread, totaling over 200 in Puerto Rico alone. The frenzy had died down slightly by 2000, but picked back up in Radford when a Nicaraguan rancher shot and wounded something attacking his goats. A few days later, a ranch hand found the carcass. It was a hairless, scraggly-looking canid. It was the first time on record that an actual body had been associated with the legend, and the visual was terrifying. In 2004, when something began attacking livestock in Texas, a farmer shot one of the offenders, and later, more alleged El Chupacabra carcasses turned up. In various villages, the creature was reportedly seen attacking livestock. People said it went after goats, sheep, and other farm animals, and pets. Could it have been mass hysteria, or was there a real live monster, or pack of monsters stalking livestock? The name of the folkloric creature, El Chupacabra, translates from Spanish to goat sucker. The fearsome creature has been characterized as the southern equivalent of the Sasquatch. The most common description of the Chupacabra is a creature with gray scaly skin, a raised ridge on its back, and vicious sharp teeth. Early reports described a creature that stood upright and resembled a large reptilian kangaroo with huge red eyes. A different type of chupacabra was also reported in many of the same places. These chupacabra were smaller and stood upon four feet. They were generally canine in appearance but hairless. In a report from the Texas Observer, made by Asher L. Bean in October 2016, an eyewitness recounts her chupacabra sighting. Phyllis Canyon claims to have saw a chupacabra for the first time, as it was slipping through the pastures of her south-central Texas ranch in broad daylight. It was June 2007, and Canyon, a naturopathic doctor and hunter, had just returned from Africa. She had seen some odd things there, but nothing like this a hairless canine figure with blue-gray flesh and bony limbs. Soon after, she and her husband found one of their chickens with its throat torn open, apparently drained of blood. Over the next few days, the mystery predator struck again, leaving what appeared to be exsanguinated chickens across the ranch. Kenyon set up cameras hoping to catch it in the act. When that failed, she asked her neighbors to let her know if they saw, captured, or killed it. 
In mid-July, a neighboring rancher called to say that one of the creatures had been hit by a car near his property. Canyon claimed that as she stood puzzling over the scrawny body, they got another call about another strange carcass, this one closer to Canyon's ranch. She sped back in her car, and there it was, thin, hairless, and bizarre. Canyon loaded it into her tractor and took it back to the ranch to photograph it. When pressed, Canyon said she doesn't know what her chupacabra is. She speculated that perhaps it's a hybrid with a Mexican wolf or an escapee from some dog breeder in the area. But she was adamant that it wasn't a normal mangy coyote. Perhaps, she said, the chupacabras are a type of coyote, but of a rare sort, naturally hairless, probably living underground, and very fond of blood. In every case, including canyons, there are theories about what the chupacabra is. Most believe that it is a coyote, with a severe case of mange, an infection of the skin caused by a parasitic mite, which causes hair loss and a thick crusting of the skin. Some people even believe that it is possible that mange may cause an infected animal to crave blood. Despite many different opinions on the origins of the chupacabra, ranging from an alien or military experiment to a cross between a wolf and a crocodile, an examination of the DNA of several carcasses have confirmed that the creatures in question are canine, most likely a breed of coyote. Many skeptics have found ways to debunk the legend of the chupacabra, but there is no hard evidence of its existence or otherwise. With the numerous sightings of El Chupacabra and the vast area that these sightings cover, it has not only been a popular story for the press to cover, but has also been covered in music, card games, animation, and movies. Imani Francesca Coppola is an American singer, songwriter, and violinist. Her debut single, Legend of a Cowgirl, reached the top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 and the UK Singles Chart in 1997. Her debut album, Chupacabra, released by Columbia Records, was praised by critics and appeared on the U.S. Heat Seekers Albums chart. Jupacabra is the fourth episode of the 16th season of American animated sitcom South Park and the 227th episode of the series overall. It premiered on Comedy Central in the United States on April 4, 2012. In this episode, South Park's big Easter egg hunt is in jeopardy when there are rumors of a dangerous beast lurking in the woods nearby. Cartman tries to warn everyone that their lives are at risk if they participate in the egg hunt. No one believes him until he produces video evidence of the mysterious being. The episode was written and directed by Trey Parker. The Chupacabra was included as one of several vinyl figurines in Cryptozoic Entertainment's Crypticans Blind Box toy line in 2018. A redesigned series of figurines, including an updated Chupacabra, was released in 2020. The search for a Chupacabra was featured in the 1997 The X-Files episode. If you search for movies featuring the Chupacabra, you will find a list of almost two dozen, but the world is still waiting for El Chupacabra, the blockbuster hit. El Chupacabra has become one of the most famous cryptids today. As a cryptid, you know you've reached fame status when your name shows up on a billboard of any kind. 
In the book, Tracking the Chupacabra, the Vampire Beast in Fact, Fiction, and Folklore, Benjamin Radford says that the Chupacabra has become a global phenomenon, the world's third best-known monster after Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. He notes that not since crop circles has a strange phenomenon been so quickly assimilated into popular culture. Like most legends, the story started from something real, or at least from real events or sightings. Whether the stories have been exaggerated as they are passed down or not, they have become ingrained permanently in our culture. The Chupacabra, like any monster or boogeyman, is a good story to tell and retell. It has been told around campfires, at sleepovers, and most often to children. Scary stories are a common tool, although questionable to many, to keep children from misbehaving or going out after dark. A legend that started in Puerto Rico in 1995 has made it around the world in less than 30 years. This is how folklore begins. It would be interesting to see how much El Chupacabra evolves over the next century. Whether the Chupacabra is an unknown species, a furry vampire, or an ailing wild animal, the stories are here to stay. The scaly, hairy bloodsucker might be sneaking up to your window tonight. The animal that had a hold of my brother stopped when I yelled at it, but it didn't run away immediately. It turned and looked in my direction and I will never forget what I saw. Its eyes glowed yellow in the moonlight. It had wide, muscled shoulders that seemed to ripple under its gray, hairless skin. It appeared to have scales, but I couldn't be sure because it was still dark. It snarled at me and bared a set of long fangs that were unnatural in length. At first sight, I took it for a coyote, but soon realized it was something else, something more vicious something more dangerous. As I approached, I thought I was going to have to fight it off of Gabriel, because it didn't appear to be afraid, but when I got close, it finally released him and ran off into the dark. Gabriel had several deep cuts on his back and neck. They had to be stitched right away. The doctor was called out, and after some shots, he left some antibiotics and ordered him to rest for several days. After that night, I and my other brother, Matthias, and father took turns keeping a watch for the predator. Father swore we would continue to watch until we killed the beast. We would stay out by the barn with the gun until sunrise, but we did not realize that the creature now had a taste for something other than our livestock. It was Matthias' night to stand watch, and I was exhausted from my watch the night before. I was asleep as soon as my head hit the pillow. At first I thought it was part of my dream, but then the sound finally pulled me out of my sleep. I heard scratching. It sounded like the rats that had gotten into our attic the winter before, but it was much louder. Whatever was making the sound was too large to be a rat. I was the only one to hear it. When I got up to look around, my mother and father were still soundly sleeping. I followed the sound, and it grew louder as I entered the room that Gabriel shared with Matthias. As I stepped across the threshold, the scratching stopped, 
It sounded like it had been coming from Gabriel's bed. I tiptoed over and saw that he was in a deep sleep. I could hear him snoring from beneath his blanket. Scratching my head, I turned to leave when my weight caused the floorboards to creak. That is when I heard the growling. Again, it sounded like it was coming from Gabriel's bed, but this time I noticed that it was closer to the floor. I got down on my knees to get a look underneath the bed. There was nothing there, but the closer my face got to the floor, the louder the growling became. Finally, I yelled for my father, and he was quick to react, running through the door disheveled but on full alert. The growling had stopped, but when my father approached Gabriel's bedside, it started again, but louder. Suddenly, there was a pounding and a clawing on the floor, accompanied by growls and snarls that sounded like the creature was trying to tear straight through the floor. My father ran from the room and came back a few minutes later carrying a pitchfork. He motioned for me to step aside, and when I did, he ran the pitchfork between the floorboards with so much force that I could hear the wood crack. The creature beneath the floor let out a cry of pure agony and surprise, and we could hear it frantically fighting its way out from underneath the house, banging its head all the way, waking Gabriel in the process. When my father pulled the pitchfork out of the floor, there were traces of blood on the tips of each spike. It had hit its mark, but did not penetrate enough for a fatal wound. Gabriel was scared and still weak from the previous attack, so mother insisted that he sleep with me for the rest of the night. We hoped that would be the end of the mysterious beast's reign of terror, but we were not so lucky. The following night, while my father was out on his evening to keep watch, the creature returned. This time, it had a new victim in mind. I had tucked Gabriel into my bed, and after my mother came in and said her good nights, I made a pallet on the floor so that he could rest better. The floor smelled earthy, and soon I was asleep, dreaming that I was picking flowers to give to the pretty girl in the village to see if I could make her cheeks flush. In the dream, I approached her while she was sweeping the steps of a house. When she looked up, she greeted me with a shy smile. I brought the flowers that I had hidden behind my back and presented them to her. Her smile grew and my heart fluttered. Shyly, she reached to take the flowers, but instead grabbed my wrist. Pain shot into my skin and I looked down to see canine claws where her hand should have been. Confused, I looked back to her face, and there she stared back at me with glowing yellow eyes. And I watched in horror as she smiled and revealed long, bloody fangs. I tried to pull my hand from her and step back, but she began to spit and snarl as she dug the claws in deeper. The adrenaline and fear brought me out of my slumber and as I sat upright, I felt a weight lift off of my chest. I opened my eyes as the creature hit the floor beside me. A yelp turned into a snarl as it lunged at me, going for my neck. I blocked it with my arm and noticed the blood trickling down my wrist. When it grabbed me, its teeth planted in the same spot, sending sharp daggers of pain up my arm. 
This creature looked more like a monster than a dog, though it was about the size of a Labrador, but its strength took me by surprise. It had me pinned to the floor. I pushed at it and tried to roll over, but I could not get free. We went on this way until I came to the realization that I was probably going to die. Eventually, this thing would make it past my arm and surely rip my throat clean out. I was still screaming and fighting and covered in my own blood when my father finally burst through the door with his gun in hand. He took one shot at the monster and hit it in the side, sending it flying across the room. Stunned, I stared as it lay underneath my bedroom window, wiggling and whimpering in pain. My mother came rushing in and grabbed my arm. I yelled in pain as she began to wrap it with a cloth and I heard Gabriel who was crying. My father sat down on the bed and comforted him. It was only seconds, or maybe a couple of minutes, that we had forgotten about the creature. But when we looked back, it was gone. There was no trace of it. No trail of blood. Nothing. My grandfather laughs at the end of these stories telling me how he still sees those fangs when he looks at my grandmother today. But he married her anyway. He says it takes a beast to keep him in check. He then gets serious again. He says that the creature that they had called Lechon de Sangre, or Bloodsucker, had not returned after that night, but they had never forgotten. Now my grandfather is 63, and I run the farm where my family has lived since back then. My grandfather still helps, but most days he sits in his chair on the porch telling his stories to my children, his great-grandchildren. The only difference is that he now calls the bloodsucker El Chupacabra. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, Leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R- M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Tune in next week as we talk about Slenderman, the creepypasta legendary stalker who may be obsessed with taking your life. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.